Well, it's good to be in the 1 Corinthians again. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, in some of the people that you see on your screen, um, we've been meeting uh, for about 10 weeks or 8 or 10 weeks having meetings in a public hall limited to the number of 30 and the whole intention has been based in 1 Corinthians to look very seriously at the church particularly as it's revealed in 1 Corinthians and we've had a number of meetings in that hall and then of course we've got this lockdown which we're forbidden to meet um, face to face and uh, that goes on for another couple of weeks may go on longer mm. and so it's afforded this opportunity to open up uh, those of you who are interested um, the messages up that would, was spoken in the hall, all roughly around the, the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, they're available on the website. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, really the, the burden of my heart is to declare, and I, I thank Mark and brothers and sisters, um, we don't actually meet as a church in the hall. Um, really, it's it's just something that is fluid and in movement because we're part of something. Um, it, it, it's a, an area called the Tin Valley. It looks like Tain, T-E-I-G-N, but it's a river that flows in to the English Channel at... Um, uh, Tinmouth and uh, there's a number of groups in fact there's quite a lot of activity some of you who may have known or you've certainly heard of John Wesley in Cornwall particularly and some areas of Devon there was a lot of um, response to the Wesley's ministry and there's a lot of little chapels still meeting and groups still meeting. And, of course, what's happening uh, today and this year is sifting the churches. It's it's dealing in some ways a bit of a, 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 a bit of a blow to the way the church has been drifting and moving. I use the word drifting um, advisedly because I believe that to a degree the church has been drifting from its moorings, from its proper place of anchorage in the Lord. Um, there is no doubt that some of you will know that 50, 60 years ago, there was quite a, a remarkable um, quickening of God's spirit at a certain depth and level 
that was global. Um, for instance, I'm not sure if anyone from Malaysia is on tonight uh, today because it's right in the middle of the night for them. Mm. But, for instance, um, the way that we linked in with Malaysia was through students who, when I used to do ministry and others did ministry in universities in this country, um, we met Malaysian students who came to the Lord, became filled with the Spirit, went back to Malaysia, uh, back to Sarawak, back to Singapore, and they took with them that life. And some other Malaysian students were down in New Zealand, and there had been a moving of God in the late 60s and early 70s, and they really met the Lord, and then they went back to Malaysia. So um if if i was to tell you this that there on a sunday morning any given sunday morning in malaysia there are more people in church um and they're gathered more people there than there would be in the whole of the united kingdom on a sunday morning um, that would never have been the case when I first went to Malaysia. The same thing would be true of places like Spain, uh, where when uh, Franco passed away and Spain became free, this, of course, was in the early 70s, then in the mid and late 70s, the Lord began to move on people's hearts in Spain, a place where there have been so few believers. And, for instance, the island of Ibiza, um, where I first went, I think it was 1979, um, there were no believers there to speak of. A small Baptist church, um, Possibly there were the faithful in some of the Catholic churches. But I've came to know a man not long before he died, a man who was a brethren man who came from across in the mainland of Spain, whose wife died. And he had this burden. He used to walk up and down the beach and look across to the Balearic Islands Ibiza is one of the Balearic Islands in the Mediterranean, for those of you who don't know. And he began to pray. And in the end, God took him uh, to the island. And he lived in a, a place uh, up in the hills. And I went there to see him. No electricity, no running water. And he just prayed. And the Lord moved. And some unknown to him, unknown to him. And uh, some visiting tourists took some cassettes, shows you how long ago it was, um, and they passed them on to their tour guide, a man whose name's William Guillermo, and he listened to them and he turned to the Lord. He's French-speaking, he's Spanish-speaking, he's English-speaking. And 
it was very wonderful how over the period of 10 or 15 years, in every of the towns in the island of Ibiza, a group began. And so there was this moving of God's spirit. It was very alive and, and very vibrant. In fact, a few years back, Hazel and I were asked to go back and they rented a whole hotel and all the groups came together. Um, all the churches came together for a, sorry, Don? 30th. It was what they called their 30th anniversary and just wonderful. And then you begin to see how things take over. Things begin to drift. It's almost as though the, the quickening life of the spirit that had come and birthed these works these churches in these places and I just mentioned Malaysia Sarawak Singapore I mentioned uh, Spain particularly as a European country and we have to thank God for what he did in those days and it was the same in this country to a degree in fact many of the live churches today in the United Kingdom, they have their roots in that move of God's spirit that took place 50 years ago. And of course, the leaders were young in those days, gotten old now, uh, like me. And, um, you know, we find ourselves in a fresh time. We cannot go back to what then was. If you remember, there was an atmosphere, some of you remember, there was an atmosphere in the Western world in those days, an atmosphere in the 60s of the throwing off of the old. It was the time where in the world the women were were throwing off the, you know, the pill had come along and it freed them up to disconnect sex from the responsibilities of it in marriage and so on and all kinds of changes took place in the world and uh, it was against such that background that the Lord refreshed his church and now we find ourselves of course in a technological time uh, thank the Lord for this that we can do today um, like this and you'll excuse the history but we have to understand we cannot go back to that uh, that then was but we have to come face to face to where we drifted and our prayer and our longing from God must be that we uh, receive from him a fresh understanding and revelation of church of what it really is from God and pray in that way. Pray not on the basis of Lord save multitudes. I mean, there are prophetic uh, messages that are going on 
and you know I I I, I find that I cannot um, embrace some of the things that are said. There's going to be billions coming to the Lord in the next five years, and there's this that and going to happen in the United States, and there's going to be a great revival. In fact, in Malaysia, we used to sing a song. There's going to be a great awakening. There's going to be a great revival in the land and it, it goes on like this and you know uh, i suspect that there will be great changes for the church and great siftings and prunings and this involves you and me and um, you've some of you have been in vineyards and you know what they're like in the winter. And uh, the, the way things are so green uh, in spring, summer, into the time of fruitfulness. And then you return to the vineyard. And uh, there it is, pruned back to sticks, almost. When we lived in Australia, we had vines in our garden and um, they were cut back to, to nothing with the express purpose that there would be a, a, a crop next year, a better crop, a rich crop, uh, a, a good vintage. And um, there was purpose in it all. And we are in a time of pruning and it's good that I have arrived at the thought of wine, of vines, of fruit and I suppose I could say food because I want to focus just a little bit on something that may have escaped you in 1 Corinthians as you've read through but Paul Gradually, in the logic of truth, he he begins with the fact that God calls, that the Father calls. That's where he begins. That it it all begins with the Father, and he, it's the same in the other church, great church letter, which is the Ephesian letter, where when he begins that letter, he begins with God. Um, that's God the Father and God the Father working now not through prophets and so on but working through his son and that's how you get it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um, you know where where it says the famous verse God is faithful verse 9 by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, he doesn't say called to be an army. He doesn't say called to be um, those who turn the world upside down. He doesn't say you're called to be dynamic. He, he doesn't talk about that. He specifically says that we are called into a life 
of koinonia, fellowship, fellowship, mutual fellowship. The word koinonia, fellowship, means exactly something that is mutual. It is a mutual participation. It is you participating in the Son, in Jesus Christ, and through him, you and I participating with the Father. And all of this is by the Spirit, so that we are participating in the Trinitarian life of God. I must start here. I have to begin where the revelation of truth begins, in the logic of truth. We are not bringing in to the church and the churches our opinions. We are not bringing in uh, our ideas and we are not doing that. We are brought into the fellowship with the Son to participate in a living way by the Spirit with the things that our Father has purposed, our Father is doing, and what he's doing today. Um, Does that make sense to you, that the church is something that is from above? Uh, It does not need to dress itself up in Saul's armour. It does not need to dress itself up in, in worldly array. It needs to understand that first it's called into this participatory fellowshipping. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful thing. We used to sing a song, and I can't remember it, how it starts, but there's a repetitive line in it. We at his table do sit down, or something like that. We at his, perhaps some of you know it, to sit at his table. And so Paul, when he's writing, he is amazed to get news from Chloe's household, whose Chloe is obviously a lady in whose house uh, some of the believers were meeting in Corinth, and a message has come through to Paul, who's their apostle, of, of the state of affairs in the church. And not only so, the church has written to him, concerning certain issues that are troubling them. So there seems to be in the church a concerned spirit, a concerned spirit. Chloe's household, she's mentioned, you probably know this in chapter one. So there were those who were troubled in spirit in the assembly of what was going on. It troubled them enough to write to Paul because he refers to this, doesn't he, in chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And uh, 
then he mentions it's chapter 7 and chapter 8, particularly these things about marriage and about um, single daughters and things to do with the uh, food offered to idols. And so can I say this to you? There were people who were sincerely honest, concerned, humble enough to to call on God and call on the apostle, the man whom God had used to father the church. Paul says in chapter 4, you've got 10,000 instructors but uh, not many fathers in Christ I begot you. Fathers. Fathers have the seed. I won't elaborate on that. They have more than doctrine. They have the seed. They have the living, quickening seed. God has vested it in them. And they are able to father. What a gift. Um, uh, There was a man I knew. And wherever he went, he left a trail of one here, two there, three there, who were fathered right into God fathered into the spirit. Paul says you've got 10,000 teachers. And one of the things, if I may say this, and I may have said it again here, you know, one of the issues that can cause the church to drift into formalism is it falls into the hands of the teacher. Instead of the, of having that room for the prophetic, that room for the revelatory, that room for the apostolic to continue to work alongside the teacher. Often, I'm sorry to say, uh, monopolizes and forces to to the side. That which is interruptive, the prophetic can be interruptive, the prophetic, the revelatory. Uh, I have grounds for saying that in, 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 someone's on my phone there, darling, sorry. Um, uh, I have grounds for saying that because in chapter 15, when Paul is talking about the gatherings of meetings, He particularly gives priority to revelation. If something be revealed to someone who is sitting by, let the first hold his peace. It makes you realize, and I want to get on to these kinds of things, not today, but later, because everything moving towards the gatherings of the saints. You know that Paul actually says to the Corinthians, because of their state, 
your meetings are doing you more harm than good. How about that? He says it in chapter 11. Your meetings are doing you more harm than good. You're coming together not for the better, but for the worse. That's how it, he puts it. It's right there. Uh, it's, it's a grieving thing um, to, to think that we can get to a stage where our meetings are not doing us good. They're doing us harm. They're not building us up. They're pulling us down. They're not bringing us into participation with God's spirit, God's life, and the life of the Son and the burdens of his heart. Evangelism is not an ism. It is the burden of his heart. None of us could really participate in the life of the Son without having a heart for people. Without having a heart, you understand what I mean? It's in his heart. Without caring for one another. And you, you well know that in the Corinthian letter, this one, Paul repetitively says to them, you're puffed up. So as well as those who had a spirit of concern and care that move them to write to Paul and to send messages from the house of Chloe. There were those who were in a pride position, puffed up. And when I come into chapter 5, I I find that this uh, pride, you know, it's actually led to a sexual sin taking place in the church that had not been censured. It was a known thing. It was public. Um, uh, you know, in those days, the often... Men who were older in years, they had married a wife and the wife passed away first. And then the, the older man, he married a younger woman. But of course, by the first marriage, he had several children that were older in years. And sometimes the wife was roughly of the same age as perhaps the oldest son. And it's likely that this was going on in the church, that there was a case where uh, a younger man who had come to the Lord uh, in the church and he was, he, he, he'd fallen into a relationship with this uh, with his young stepmother. So it was stepmother and stepson. And Paul's great concern, of course, 
is whatever power is it that's working among you that is allowing this thing to go on? Because he's mentioned at the end of chapter four that um, he's going to send Timothy to them. This is the end of chapter four. And verse 17, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. I believe that's very important because there are those who reason in the scripture uh, commentators and so on and say, well, the way Paul handles things in Corinth is unique to Corinth and the way he puts things. But he says there that I'm reminding you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And verse 18, now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love? And a spirit of gentleness. It is actually reported. That there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality. As is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and. Have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. I've judged him who has done this deed. Uh, when he says, as present in spirit. Don't think in terms of some strange projection, some moving and he's lingering there in the atmosphere. It's not that. You know, you get in the spirit present to others when you care for them. It's a, it's a kind of figure of speech he's using. He's not talking about some mystic travel, astral travel or something. He's saying, look, I care for you. I'm present in spirit. I'm living in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of God. What are you doing, church? Where have you drifted to? Um, I'm present. And I've already judged. I know that this man, if he's perpetuating his sin, and it's known publicly, if it was something hidden away and no one knew, well, 
but we know it's public, so I've judged. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, I'm with you. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You notice he doesn't say the destruction of the body, but the flesh. There is that that has got to be destroyed in this man. There are motivations and lusts. They must be stopped and that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And don't think for one minute that when Paul writes that, uh, that in any way there's a lack of care for this man. Quite the opposite. He knows, quite the opposite. He knows that this man... Unless there are severe dealings, because the thing is public, then this man, oh, what shall his end be? And the whole motivation of Paul is salvation. There is tenderness here. There is care here for the man. And there is care and concern and love and affection for the church because the church is allowing it to go on. And, and then Paul brings us into this wonderful thing. He, he says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know? That's one of his oft said sayings in the Corinthian letter if you were to just go through and make a list of the do you not know do you not know do you not know do you not know and you will discover that these are the things that are so easily forgotten that are the fundamental things that cause the drift Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? But we're not doing it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I don't think they're on today, but there is a couple there in Alabama that I know. And she makes sourdough bread. And... uh, she she tells me that, um, or when I talk to her about it, that her sourdough bread, it was started by her great-grandmother, something over a hundred years old, the continuity of this sourdough. And you probably are aware that this bread, this leaven, of course, is when a fermentation has been taking place in a piece of dough and the fermentation, uh, then they take a little of that uh, fermentation and store it 
for the next batch. And so it goes on and on and on and on. And this, of course, has a very real bearing on the church. You, you, you know where Paul is in his thinking, don't you? When he talks eleven. And uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he says to them, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And it's no good having meetings if there's no leaven in the lump. If you don't know about it, okay. But if you know it, you know, um, purge out the old leaven. Whatever's the old leaven, leaven in Corinth. Um, the old practices, the things they come out of, perhaps have been momentarily or, or somewhat slightly delivered from them. Um, they'd known some liberty, but then they drifted back into them. The, the old leaven, the old Corinthian life, the old habits, the old pride in, in their prophets and their this is, you know, that many of them came from mystery religions and they frequented the idol temples. You know, he's going to talk more about this in the, the coming chapters. You know, because they, they'd forgotten their uniqueness. They'd forgotten. They'd allowed the leaven of old habits to come back. And he actually tells them, if you look down in verse 8, he says, therefore, this is chapter 5, verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. So he mentions three leavens there, the old leaven of the old life. He mentions the leaven of malice. It was in the church. There was malicious talk. There was sectarianism. You know, there was uh, strange fire, you could say, in their midst. There was the leaven of malice where there was evil speaking and gossip going on. And then he says a third thing, the the old layer, the leaven of wickedness, just wickedness. Isn't it remarkable? It has always been something of a shock to me, and I but I know it's it's possible. Um you know When Paul writes to the Corinthians in the second letter, in chapter 11, he talks about the possibility of another Jesus, another spirit coming in, another gospel, another spirit. Isn't that a remarkable thing that a church can give way? And and can I say this to you all? That um, 
I'm not sure if if you're familiar with this, how Paul concludes the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. But I'll just read it out to you. It's a very lovely phrase uh, in verse 18 of chapter 6 of Galatians. He says, the grace, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Your spirit. Did you know that every church has a spirit? Every church has a spirit. And you say, well, what's the spirit of a church? Well, the Galatian church, oh, they had a legal spirit. They'd they'd gotten slipped back under law. You know, they were, oh, legalists. Paul wrote a flaming letter to them and exhorts them and teaches them. And and then he says to them, he concludes, oh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You And the spirit of the church is made up of the spirits of those people that are in it. And uh, the... Leaven of a wrong-spirited man in the church, a a wrong spirit, a man who's let his spirit get critical. I think of a church in a certain country now, and I love them and been there so often, and I love the brother, stayed in his home, and oh, he almost destroyed it, that church. He got frustrated with them. He got the whip out. And his spirit became, oh, annoyed. Bit like dear Moses, you remember when he got the whip out. And he struck the rock a second time. Do you want me to come in the spirit of gentleness, uh, Paul said, with a rod or spirit of gentleness. I don't want to bring the rod, but, you know, there is a carnal way that some preachers bring the rod and they whip people. It's a terrible thing. And the whole spirit of the church, people became crushed. They became frustrated. Some people left. You know, and he he hit them again and again and again. And I talked to him and I said, oh, brother, you mustn't let your frustrations rule your heart. The way you learn these things in part is that you go through them yourself in part. That's why you have to keep your spirit in the love of God. Keep your heart there. And, do you know, when I think of this leaven leavening the whole lump, whole church in Corinth, it had got swollen up. 
you know, because that's what, you know, when the lady matches, uh, mixes the new batch of dough and adds that old leavened lump into it and she allows it and the whole lump swells, doesn't it? And uh, it's what we call sourdough bread. But you notice how Paul, when he's writing in this fifth chapter, he he says to them something very precious. Purge out the old leaven, verse 7, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. That you may be a new lump. You truly are unleavened. Come back to what you are. I have no doubt that the greatest need we have is that the great sense of the love of God for us should be made so vibrantly real to us that in the words of the man that Oswald Chambers culled it from, and I've forgotten his name, we will know the expulsive power of a new affection. That came originally from an old Scottish preacher, and Oswald Chambers used it quite frequently in some of his uh, messages. The power of, of, of the fire of God's love. He loves me. I can't sin against him. He loves me so much. And the Holy Spirit is committed to reveal the love of God to it, to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. Romans 5. He's committed to it. He's sent to shed the love of God. Ask God, brothers and sisters, to, by his spirit, show you how much you're loved. Because it will expel sin. It will expel the leaven. It will you know those things that you allow yourself. The, the Corinthian church was swollen up with pride and they were allowing themselves things. That's what was happening. And he says, you're, you are a new lump. You are. You're truly unleavened. And you know how he's back in the table and I wanted to get to this um, because he is going to focus on the table he mentions the kingdom and the kingdom has a king and this kingdom has a table and you and I in the church we have been brought to the Lord's table. 
It's where the currency is. I don't know if you're aware that the word table uh, is trapitha in Greek. And if you were to go to Greece or to Cyprus, you would find that the banks are called the table. They're called trapitha in, is bank. It's where the currency is. The currency of the church is at the table. Now, I ask you to think about this because this is going to be one of Paul's concentrations. He mentions it for the first time here in chapter 5. He's going to come to it very strongly in chapter 8. He's going to come to it in chapter 10. He's going to come to it even more so in chapter 11 before he comes to them gathering together and ministering. Your people who sit at the table. You have right, he says in these verses here, keep the feast. Keep the feast. There's food on the table. It's currency, the currency of his bread, his body and his blood. You know, uh, it's tremendous when you begin to ponder these things. This is why... You know, when Hayden and I went looking for apartments in Reading about 14 years ago when we moved back from Canada, you know, <clears throat> we went to some of the new builds and uh, we were stunned in these new builds. No room for a table. Tiny rooms, no room for a table and chairs where people could sit round. We were amazed. Well, why is this, we asked the real estate people. Well, because people don't sit uh, together at table now. These apartments are kind of dormitory places. People eat out. They get takeaways. And yet, the table. And you know, your glorying's not good, he says. You know, you, you've got to keep the feast. You've got to sit at the table. The table is a difficult place. The table is a beautiful place. You know, thou spreadst a table for me in the wilderness. You know, and they grumbled at the table. Do you remember this, this, uh, all this business about leaven? It's all to do with the Passover. That's the feast, isn't it? Um, the Passover is an our feast because Jesus appended on the end of the Passover, the last Passover, he appended on the end the, the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. This is my body broken for you. Keep the feast. And, you know, He's going to say things, it's, it's at the table. You, you're face to face. It's at the table. Do you remember so much of what Jesus said and did when he was on earth was at the table? Do you remember that? 
Do you remember the events at the table when he's saying Simon the Pharisee's house and the woman taken in adultery, you know, she comes, you know, well, we don't know if she was in adultery, but she washed his feet. Do you remember? Do you remember? And so many of the things that he said were at the table. And it's almost as though um, I see him and I hope that you see him. And I'm thinking of those Jews back in Egypt. And I'm thinking of how God said to them, now, you get a lamb. A lamb for a house. You know what a lamb is, don't you? Uh, lamb's not an old sheep. A lamb is a young sheep. And hallelujah, you get a lamb and you get the leaven out of your house and remove it. Just remove it. No more leaven. Just get it out. So day by day they made diligent search so that all the old leaven, so there had to be a new batch, didn't they? If they were to eat sourdough bread in the wilderness, which they would have done, of course, they had to start over again after the feast, because during the feast, they ate unleavened bread. Let this, I have to ask myself, am I an unleavened piece of bread? That you're eating a little bit of tonight. And you have to say that. You know, keep the feast. Um, you know, the head of our house, who is Jesus, he cleared the leaven out of the house. He's the lamb. You remember the blood sprinkled or uh, wiped on the doorposts and on the lintel across. And you know how God, the Father, read it carefully. The angel of death passed over, but didn't come into the house where the blood was. Do you know why? Read it carefully. Because God was there. Where the blood was, God was. And so the angel passed over the house where the blood was, because the blood signified that they were in the house, keeping the feast, eating the lamb, eating the unleavened bread, and eating the bitter herbs with it. And they were keeping this wonderful feast. And he says to us, now you, you dear Corinthians, this is where you've been brought. You've been brought into this house. Now keep the feast and eat. And uh, with unleavened bread, for Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And I'm going to have to stop soon because I'm, I've got my, my hours almost gone. But if I may, I, I want to 
to sort of emphasize this again and again. So I want you to slip over into the eighth chapter um, and we'll, and I'll finish with this. You know, but he, he, he talks about uh, concerning things offered to idols. I, I know that it might sound simplistic to some of us. But this is one of the things that concerns me. I get a sense that many go to other tables. They go to idols' temples. Um, Concerning things offered to idols. Not very relevant to us. We're not going to some idol temple like those people were perhaps trying to sustain their businesses, of course, because most of the trade guilds were linked with idols. So if you're in a certain kind of business, you would go along to those places and um, sit at table with the people and eat the food. And this is what the Corinthians were allowing themselves. He says, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known of him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, There is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And I've turned you there because he's... He's back at the thought of the table. He's back at the thought of eating. Something that is very real, and he will come clear on it in chapter 10. There's nothing in an idol, but behind an idol, there's a demon. I don't want you to sit at the table of demons. Nothing is neutral in this world. And when the heart becomes idolatrous toward music, when the heart becomes idolatrous even toward the letter of Scripture, you're into a dimension, you're beginning to sit at an idol's table 
And it's not the idol that's the thing, but it's the spirit that has lifted up this, whatever it is, the idol of education. Numerous young Christians have gone into a great drift because they've idolized it. And there's a spirit in the universities. There's a spirit working that lifts people up in private <coughs> knowledge. And these are the kinds of things that are 21st century idols. Career. Career. These kinds of things that give God no chance in our lives because we take care of our lives ourselves by, by worshipping the idols. And yet we must learn to keep the feast. There is a fullness of love that can increasingly come to you and me, that can increasingly, increasingly work in the church. There is the working of God's spirit that will shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. And we'll, you know, but uh, we'll just get that leaven out. Can't stay. We'll keep the feast. And God will identify with us. And all of these things, he, he, he will move through all the time. This, the marks of this love, Paul says when he's talking about this, is that we won't hurt one another's consciences. If someone's got a troubled conscience, you know, back there, in chapter 6, when Paul is writing to them, uh, he he's, he uses this, you know, they've got a, uh, you're washed. You were sanctified. You're justified in, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me. You know, Paul says that. It's actually quoting them in their pride. They say, all things are lawful for me. I can watch this. I can do that. I can do the other. I can sit at this table. I can do as I is. I can drift. And uh, he says, oh, behind, behind these things. You know, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. Isn't that a remarkable thing? All things are not helpful. Paul is going to go on about this. Do we sit at Jesus' table together? That's what a meeting is. A meeting is where the people of God gather to Jesus' table. Sounds very strange way to put it. But that's what it is. Jesus, we're here. 
I don't know whether you remember that old sign that some people had in their houses that said something like, uh, Jesus is the unseen guest at this table and so on and so on and so on. You know, in the church, we gather to him and to wait on him, to listen to him to let him break the bread to us. You know, nowadays it's all gone topsy-turvy. We're there to praise him. We hardly give him a word, an opportunity to say a word. The time is filled. This is part of the drift that I see. The Quakers got it right more than 400 years ago when they gathered to sit in silence and wait. And they tarried in his presence. And he shared his heart with them. And they were so instrumental in the underground railroad, so full of good works. They were people of integrity because they, they shared his heart. He, dear George Fox and all those others, you know, as they went round the imprisoned again and again and again and uh, men, women who were taught of God. You know that in John 6, when Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, labor for the food that doesn't perish, but is unto everlasting life. And then he says these wonderful words. All who are taught of God, come to me. Come to me. Come to my table. And the church, it must return there to the table. Away from the drift. It it must return to the teacher. It must return to his currency. That's on the table. It's a currency that deals with consciences. If you check me up in this Corinthian letter, both of the letters of God to Corinth, he will talk again and again against conscience, about conscience, about conscience, mm-hmm. about that power of inner knowing. He, he will talk about the preciousness of the conscience of the weak brother. You'll talk about these things because this is the currency of precious, precious men and women and the children that are among us. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether you get anything out of what I'm trying to bring home to us, you know, but he doesn't even want to talk about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 till he's got male-female relationships right. There is a falseness in the egalitarianism of today. It's corrupting the world. It's corrupting the church. He doesn't want to talk about meetings until there's an understanding of differences between male, female. He's going to talk about that in chapter 11. 
He doesn't even want to talk about meetings and gatherings in chapter 12, 13 and 14 until he's got them in the right attitude when they break bread at the end of chapter 11. When you come together, examine yourselves. He doesn't want to talk about the church in some... uh, assembly of all gathered together to do this and uh, do that and serve. How many missionary society things have I been in when there is bitterness between the missioners? I hardly remember a missionary society that I've been amongst where there hasn't been a strong, wrong attitude between the American missionaries, the British missionaries, or between the Korean missionaries and the Chinese missionaries and the Filipinos, and they've this, that, and the other. And, oh, Lord. And our sitting at his table, eating his food, food, keeping his feast, I tell you, starts to chase this stuff away. Chases these wrong spirits away, out of the church. You just don't want noise. You just don't want these wrong things. Challenging, isn't it, as we reflect upon this. But he doesn't want to talk about, oh, being spiritually gifted and tongues and prophecies and when you gather together and, oh, people of God. Sit at my table. (laughs) I don't want you to sit at devil's tables. You can't sit there and partake there. He's going to talk about that in chapter 10. And so he's trying to gather them back to the feast. It was Sabbath. For them, after that first Passover... Once they were out of Egypt and they kept the feast and they remembered it must have been a time of great joy, wasn't it? Keep the feast of joy. We're a a new people. We're loosed. We keep the feast. And uh, there we are. I think I must stop. But... um, Amen. Feed in 1 Corinthians and think about these things. And, O Lord, bring us back to your table. (laughs) You know, Jesus was the most dependent human being there ever was. I, I can't do anything without my father. He fed on him. His father was his feast. He sat at father's table in his heart, uh, day by day, night by night, waking hours, all of them. And where you sit at table with the Lord in your heart, in your waking hours, That will continue in your heart, in your sleeping hours.
hope none of you are sleeping now. But uh, in your, if you are, <laughs> but um, Amen, Amen. Jesus, the most dependent, and the Lord is bringing us back there. Come and sit. Love bade me welcome, but my soul drew back. Guilty of lust and sin, but quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack, asks me if I lacked anything. <laughs> George Herbert. And uh, have I got a right to be here? Come and sit and taste my meat. Come and sit and taste my meat. <laughs> That's Jesus' word to us. Come and sit and taste my meat. And, uh, you know, feed on him. Feed on these things. What a wonderful thing if a church gathers to sit at his table, to hand the food to one another, Jesus Christ to sing of him to feed on his bounty of his love to share in his concerns sounds idyllic well for some of us who've lived through months and even years like that of meetings filled and flooded with him Yes, it's wonderful. And we went out and we took it with us. We took him. And we saw it replicated, re multiplied somewhat. And <clears throat> we return again. I do in my heart to these things and... Um, so read on through 1 Corinthians. I'll stop now, really. <laughs> and uh, I don't know whether anyone has a question that might help us. If you do, I don't know whether you're on or off. Uh, if you want to uh, sort of say, hey, hold on, Bernard, be a bit clearer about that, will you? Um, Anyone got anything to say? Ah. We're so much on the run, aren't we? Imagine you go to um, even Malaysia today and you sit down for a meal, ten at a round table. And sometimes you're still there two and a half hours later. Sitting with one another. Is that right, Chu Eli? <laughs> yes. Amen. And of course, Italy's a bit like that. Wonderful. That nice long meal, sort of two, one thirty or two in the afternoon, and a couple of hours later, you're just about at the cheese stage. <laughs> And it's lovely fellowship. 
fellowship. This is what meetings should be. The feast. Keep the feast. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Bernard. Amen. Thank you so much. I feel like we've had a feast together uh, this evening. And I wasn't sure if... Mike, did you want to ask something? Mike, where's Mike? No. (laughs) Okay. Um, well, I was thinking, um, I don't know if anyone has a question or a point to clarify, but I think it would be good for us to respond um, to what the Lord has spoken to us and uh, um, take a moment to be quiet together, take a moment to respond in our own hearts. And, uh, you know, there's an invitation, isn't there? There's an invitation to feast at the Lord's table and uh, you know in some ways I feel like we've been offered we're offered a great feast and uh, do we do we take it do we come and eat uh, so often we've contented ourselves with um, perhaps the crumbs or perhaps less than than we're being offered and there's an opportunity to say again uh, today we we want to we want to sit at the Lord's table. We want to live there. Yes. And we want to learn to live there. We want to, to feast. We want to keep the feast. Mm. We want to wait and to listen. And we don't want to settle for anything less. Mm. Um, we don't want to settle for anything less than to be that people who, who gather to sit at the Lord's table, mm. uh, to hand food to one another and to respond. So, I feel like it would be good to respond uh, together. Um, if, if you would like to pray, uh, just unmute yourself and, and uh, respond. Don't be afraid if we have a few moments of silence. We, we need to learn to be silent, to be quiet, but we can respond together now. We can, don't want in a sense just to say, wasn't that, wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that a good meeting? We want to respond in our hearts to the Lord and, uh, Say yes, Lord. Uh, say say again, perhaps. Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to your table. I want to sit at your table. Thank you that you gather me to your table. Yes, amen. So if, if a few want to just respond through prayer, that would be wonderful. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Mm. for making it so simple. Mm. We don't have to have enormous intellect or mind power, but you've brought it down Mm. to eating Mm. and drinking Mm. and listening. That which we've all done all of our lifetime in the natural.
help us. Pardon, Harvey. Help us, help us. Yes. To, yes. to do it in spirit constantly. Mm. Blessed be your name. Yes, amen. 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 Father, we just thank you so much for all you have done, Lord. I don't know how you've done it, but Lord, somehow you've been able to get through to us that we have to participate with you. It's not all on your side, mm. Lord, but it is our coming through the Holy Spirit to the knowledge of the truth and acknowledging the truth even in ourselves, Lord. Oh, Lord, as we've committed those things that were unleavened to you, Lord, you've been able to help us to become pure somehow, Lord. And in that purity, we can hear you clearly, Lord. And in that purity, we feel so comfortable at your table, Lord. We thank you for this, Lord. Yes. You've made it everything so very real to us mm. in these days and father it's an encouragement to know that we can really know you in the word through the word by the word and in reality mm. in relationship father with the living god with the living jesus christ and the living holy spirit lord so we just, in our own simplicity, come tonight to thank you for the work that you've done. And thank you, Lord, for who you are. To be that way, that nothing else will attract us, Lord. But we just want to know you more and more. Mm. And Father, that will emanate from us and touch people around us, Lord that through these vessels they can see in and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Lord, this is just wonderful. We just thank you tonight for this. Yes. Lord, we ask you to continue to bless Bernard, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this vessel. Protect them, Lord. Provide fully for all their needs, their family and everything, Lord Jesus. In your special way, we thank you for this vessel, Lord, and we offer ourselves the best way we know how at this particular time in our lives that you could possibly use us, Lord, in that same way, Father. So we just give you blessing and honor tonight, Lord yes. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Loving Father. How grateful we are, Lord, you have been having 
incessant, unbroken fellowship with the divine Lord. And you interrupted it on the cross for us. And you made a room for us in our Lord. In his Holy Spirit, Lord. And you have brought us in your divine, eternal fellowship. Participatory. Mm. All the three of you, Lord. Mm. One Godhead. Yes. Lord, wonderful, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Lord, how is it that you are enjoying us? <laughs> Lord, mm. we enjoy you together. Yes, Lord. We are so thankful. Yes. Mm. Great God of heaven and earth. We will be assured into that which you are longing for. Mm. Lord, prepare us. Mm. Keep us truthful, holy, pure, and desiring one another and you. Loving you, loving all. Yes. Jesus Christ, our most highly exalted Savior's name we ask. Amen. 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 Amen, Lord. Mm. Yes. Lord. Thank you, brother, and thank you all. Yes. Amen. Amen. Mm. Oh, Father. Yes. Do you want to pray there? Lord. Will, Lord, will you let your spirit distill like the dew there in the wilderness, Lord, on many hearts? Will you do that, Father, in these days when, Lord, the noise of Egypt is behind and there's the great silences that have come, Lord, where there is no, not lots of noise going on in the world in some ways when hearts are stilled and Lord, will you, will you distill from heaven? In your churches, Lord, in Poland, in the United States, in Canada, Lord, in different parts of the world that are even represented tonight, Lord, distill your blessed dew from heaven. Lord, let hearts come into Sabbath rest. Like never before, let them hear your voice. Let them know that amazing thing where dew turns into food, manna. Lord, that incredible thing that happened each day, Lord, and each could gather, but there that amazing thing happened. The dew on the ground, and it turned into word. Mm. 
It turned into that which was life-giving. Lord, and they ate it and were strong to walk, strong to work, strong to go through. They were strong because of that which they fed upon, and it came from heaven. And we pray for pastors and leaders, O Father, in these days of their siftings. Lord, with many, will you keep them? With young ones, younger ones, who've been used to activities of certain sorts in the churches. Lord, and they've been busy about this and busy about that. And, Lord, now they cannot do it. Oh, Father, for some of them, will you cause your blessed, blessed presence to hover over them and still them and calm them and bring them to their knees and bring them onto their faces before you? And will you begin to open up to them? Your treasures, your treasures, Lord. Oh, Father, so that your church will be fitted for the difficult days. That will surely come. Lord, root amid cities and in the towns and in the cities, in the neighbourhoods. Will you be doing this perhaps in elderly ladies' houses? Will you bring across their paths hungry hearts? And perhaps in elderly couples' homes and young couples' homes, Lord, the young couples that are represented tonight here, in all of us, Lord, in we pray for Lublin and Bielsko and all the towns of Malaysia. We, we pray for Warsaw, for Eastbourne. We pray for the Tin Valley. We pray for Sitter, oh Father, you who work hanging in the atmosphere as it were, stooping low to kiss the earth with your presence, Lord, and kiss hearts and to awaken those who've been slow. know what is coming. We don't. You know the days that lie ahead. We don't. We have an inkling in your book and in our spirits. We have an inkling, but will you stoop low, Father? Will you do a work in St. Catherine's and Mississauga and, oh, in Ottawa and other places in Canada and Calgary? Father, we in the hills of Washington State, Lord. Oh, Father, people, precious people, Will you talk to them? Will you still them? Will you come? We need you, oh God. We all need you. We need you, Father. 
Lord, we pray that, Lord, you will work, oh, Father, that your church shall be the fragrance thing you want it to be, that it shall have the open table. Lord Jesus, you sat at table with multitudes, didn't you? And you showed them the Father's heart. Oh, Lord, let your church be the place where the Father's heart is. And let us go forth to other people's tables, up and down, and show something of the Father's heart. Oh, Father, Father, what days lie ahead. What work you must do in all of us to ready us. We bear up before you, especially those who are younger in years, even here, oh, strengthen them, Lord, will you water them, Lord, will you strengthen them that their roots go down deeper into you, oh, Father, so that when the blasts come, they are utterly utterly steady in the midst of it and the branches lord still abide there and are fruitful father 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 we think of them lord my heart goes round the world and i think and i know that here we are lord and we join our hearts i'm saying words lord but i believe all my brothers and sisters are their hearts are saying the same thing. Oh, God, here am I. Work. Oh, God, distill your dew. Lord, hallelujah. Oh, calm of hills above, where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity, interpreted by love. Lord, May it be true for more and more of us that we'll kneel to share with you the silence of eternity interpreted by love. And therefore shall we have words. Therefore shall we have manna. We shall have food. Amen, Lord. Amen. Mm. Amen. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that uh, together we uh, respond. And, uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, as has already been said, that, that right around the world, even yes. even now, hearts are responding again to your call, yes. to your wonderful invitation to come and to feast at your table, to know you face to face. And, uh, Lord, we say together we don't want to eat at mm. other tables. Uh, Lord, forgive us if we found ourselves drifting towards other tables. And uh, Lord, thank you that you're so gracious, uh, you're so kind, that when we drift, you do what needs to be done to draw us back. And uh, Lord, we want to be drawn back. Uh, Lord, draw us back again, uh, we pray, yeah. uh, this day to come again, to sit at your table, to know your heart, to uh, gather onto you, Lord, to live more and more in this realm. Uh, thank you for the beautiful 
simplicity that you call us to a feast. And uh, Lord, why would we want to go anywhere else? Uh, with you, there is an abundance. And, and uh, Lord, we bless you. Uh, you are you are the only thing that satisfies and, and nourishes and feeds. And we want to feed on you. And uh, nowhere else, Lord. Nowhere else. And so, Lord, we bless you uh, for your encouragement to us uh, again today. And uh, Lord, we pray for one another uh, right around the world that, that we would be men and women who know more and more what it is to, to simply sit at the Lord's table, to gather with others, to feed one another. Yes. Uh, to wait on you, to listen to you, to, to want nothing more than to, to be at your table, Lord. We, we bless you. And Lord, we, uh, pray that if uh, any of us have, have drifted and there is a purging that needs to take place, Lord, would you, we open ourselves up to, to that work which you would do in our hearts, Lord. We're just before you again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we gather again and we bless you, Lord. And we bless you for the feast that we've enjoyed this evening. May it continue to nourish us and sustain us and may you continue to nourish and sustain us, Lord, as we go on. Yes. Thank you for your wonderful call or into the fellowship. Yes. Into the fellowship with your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, we say amen. We say amen. And we present ourselves again. And we say, let it be, Lord. Let it be in our lives. Amen. Let it be in my life, Lord. Amen. Uh, for your glory in these days, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.